My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if uh, you're visiting with us, I want to kind of reiterate what Zoe said and encourage you to fill out one of those connection cards, take it to the Welcome Center after service. Not only do we have a gift for you, uh, but again, our, our passion, our privilege is to be able to connect you and to help you find a group of interest group or an opportunity to serve and then be in a small group. And just, I just think church is about family. And so it's important, the best that we can do to get you connected with your family. Um, I, I do want to just say what Brian said. Y'all, this is our, our third week, technically, if you count Easter, with two services. Come on, let's put our hands together. And so you say, why are we doing it? We're doing it because we needed the room. We had zero room in our first service, and so uh, now, now we're, we're able to have some chairs. So if you're looking around, I want you to point a chair and go, that's so-and-so. Give a name to it right now. It's a neighbor. It's a friend of who you can invite and be in here with us and be able to share what God's doing, especially with this new series that I think you're going to enjoy. I do want to share something that God's doing through our church before we get into the Word. I always like to, first of all, just say thank you to everybody who gives financially to Victory through tithing and offering. We're able to do so much, as the video said, in the community as well as in these four walls. But something that we started recently, and I've got a big meeting this week to, to kind of start putting the, crossing the T's and dotting the I's, is a relationship with the Tradition Senior Assisted Living in Smyrna. And so I've been connecting with the leadership there. We're wanting to provide ministry for the men and women of, of traditions. And so we're talking about ways to not only stream there, but also to bus them here. Uh, we're talking about how to get them involved in ministry because I think they need a purpose, right? And so to be able to come in, we like to say here, you're here on purpose because you have a purpose. And so, so do they. And so to be able to get them here to serve, uh, talking with some of our team members about maybe doing some chaplain services there and bringing some live services to them, maybe some gospel nights or something. So it's kind of an exciting relationship that's processing our worship team. We got some cool things going. I'll meet with everybody Thursday and just say, hey, what are you looking for faith-wise? And then we'll start putting that together. So I just want to say thank you to our church, number one, to always being open to different ways that we can minister, but also the financial aspect, because I can go into relationships like that and say, what do you need? What do you need financially? We can help. What do you need physically? we can help. And so it's just exciting, right? God, we're in this kind of cool season where God's doing all these different things in and through our church. And so it's just an exciting time. If you got your Bibles, do me a favor, open up to the book of Matthew. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can look at it on your phone. You can follow on our app. Our app will have all my sermon notes and everything. Or of course, you can just look on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter four is where you're going to turn. Go ahead and put your finger on verse 18. While you're getting there, I want to give you a little bit of context to this series. Uh, we're starting the series today. It's called Following Jesus. And the idea is how do we become disciples and how do we follow Christ in our day-to-day -day life in, in actuality, right? We hear about it. We talk about it a lot. But what does it look like practically? And so it's going to be about six or seven weeks long. And, and I want to tell you now it's going to be a very practical series. I've got to have next steps for you at the end of every sermon. Very practical. Here's what it looks like. Um, so that we understand when we walk out of these doors of how to apply it to our life versus just walking out of here with the concept. And so Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, we'll start reading together a few verses and then we'll get into the word. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who we would later know as Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. That will be important later. I'll explain that. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'm going to send you out to fish for men, to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. They followed Jesus. Going on from there, he, Jesus, saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and James' brother, John, and they were in a boat, and they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. 
Jesus calls to them, says the exact same thing, come follow me. And the Bible says immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. I'm a believer because I've experienced in my life that the answer to every solution or the solution to every problem, the solution to every question or issue we face is found in following Jesus. I believe it. I've lived it. But a lot of it is figuring out exactly what that looks like and how we walk that out. And so throughout this series, I'm going to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk to you about communion. I'm going to talk to you about the Trinity. I'm going to talk to you about baptism, uh, the Bible, the involvement of the church, what it means to share your testimony. We're going to go through all these different things that are going to be very practical. But today, I I titled this message right here, The Most Important Thing. Because while all of these things matter, it's this foundational principle I'm going to teach you today that is the most important thing when it comes to following Jesus. So, so the communion matters, and water baptism matters, and the Bible matters, and church matters, and sharing your testimony matters. But this, what we're going to talk about today, is the most important thing when it comes to following Jesus. Now, in our culture today, if you were to walk up to a friend or a family member or a coworker and you were to ask, are you a follower of Jesus, I think you would get a variety of answers. I think for a lot of us, the answer that we often get from people is they tell us what church they go to, right? You go and you say, hey, are you a follower of Jesus? If, if you even ask that, it almost seems like an archaic statement to even ask. But if you were to ask it like that, are you a follower of Jesus, you would normally hear somebody go, yeah, I go to Victory Church. Right? So they would kind of list what church they go to. I think another thing that we often hear from people is they'll list behavior. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't do this. Right? Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I don't do this. Right? I do do this. Do do this. Um, and then last but not least, a lot of times you just get that generic answer from people where they say, yes, I'm a Christian. So you could get any one of those kind of three answers, but, but again, we want to really break down what it actually means. So, so I'm kind of prepping a definition for you, if I could, of what following Jesus means. So watch this. Following Jesus means that we recognize and we accept who Jesus is as Lord, leader, and master of our life. It means that once we start following Jesus, we are no longer self-ruled, but we are Christ ruled. It's no longer us deciding what we're going to do, but we are Christ ruled. It means acknowledging that Jesus is in front and we must place ourselves behind him. If I was to give you a definition of what it actually means to follow Jesus, that's kind of where I would land. But listen to me, following Jesus is not just a behavior that we accept. It's not just a list of rules that we follow. Following Jesus means he's the Lord of our life. Watch this. Who we talk to, him who we listen to, who we learn from, who we rely on, who we obey, and who we follow. Now, in our culture today, follow has that concept of follow me has a very very weird definition. For most of us, the only time we ever use the word follow me or I'll follow you is in social media. Right? It'll be TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is that's hot with, with you youngins today. You know what I mean? Whatever the cool social media thing is. That's the only real concept we have. But most of the time, the people that we follow, we have very little interaction with, right? Like there might be people in here, I don't, I don't have Instagram, but you may be following somebody who is well known, but you follow them, but you don't actually know them, right? You've never actually seen them or been in the room with them. 
But when Jesus tells those guys, hey, come follow me, they are completely aware of what he's referring to. In culture in that day, for men, there was normally one of two paths you could take. Path one was you would go down the road of a trade, and so you'd become a fisherman or a blacksmith, blacksmith or a carpenter. The other pathway was you were going to get into the religious sector, and you were going to go to school and become a religious scholar. And so you would go to school, and you would learn the first five books of, of the Bible now, the law. You would learn it. You would memorize it. Once you finish that, then what would normally happen is a rabbi or a teacher, if they saw you, you were performing well, they, they liked you, whatever, they would then say to you, Come, follow me. And so you've, you've learned, you've memorized the five first, first five books of the Bible. Now you've had a rabbi ask you to come follow you. So you would begin to follow that rabbi. You would learn to walk like them, talk like them, act like them. You would imitate them. You would obey them. You would follow them. You would become like them. That, that was the whole understanding. There was a saying back then that you were following so closely that the dust of your rabbi would get on your sandals. That was the idea. And they knew this in their culture. So when Jesus says to them, hey, come follow me, they are completely aware of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, come follow me, come be like me, come imitate me, come talk, walk, and act like me. Sound like Eminem for a second. Uh, just, you know, just come and, and follow me. This is what Jesus is saying to them. Now listen, this is not my sermon, but I, I heard, thought about it this morning and I wanted to throw it in. This is such a great picture of grace because the normal concept was you go to school, you perform, you look the best, you act the best, and then somebody asks you to follow them. Meanwhile, Jesus is going to fishermen and saying, you don't have to act, you don't have to go to school, you don't have to perform, just follow me. Isn't that awesome? That the Savior of the world is telling us today, and, and even though it's not my message, you need to hear it. Because the temptation will be, well, Jesus doesn't want me to follow him because look at who I am. But Jesus went around that so that you and I would know it's not about what you're doing. It's the fact that he's called you to follow him. So they knew. So when Jesus said, follow me, it wasn't this weird, well, what do you mean? I don't, I'm not, you know, what does that look like? They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. As followers of Christ, we've been promised something more than just religious beliefs and something more than the assurance of eternity in heaven. While we have, in fact, been promised those things because we follow Jesus, it's not the only thing. We've been promised, and this is important, the, the promised presence of God in every day of our life. In everything we do. Now, I said this in the first service, and I want to say it again. If we're not careful, we will just kind of overlook that statement, right? We'll just say like, yeah, I know, and move on. Not really weighing the importance and just the weight of that statement. That the creator of the universe, that the one and only true God is not just wanting to sit in heaven and tell you how to act. He's wanting to be involved in every aspect and every decision of your life. He wants to know what you think. He wants to know how you feel. This is the benefit of being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not just eternity in heaven, although it is eternity in heaven. It's not just basic instruction before leaving earth, although it is. It's about having God in every aspect of your 
life. So what's the most important thing, right? Like if we're going to talk about following Jesus and we're going to talk about implementing God into every aspect of our life, what's, what's the most important thing? Well, for me to show you that, we've got to go to Luke chapter 10. You can put your finger there and go to Luke chapter 10. You can look on the screen with me, but let me give you a little bit of context as to what's happening as we roll up in Luke chapter 10. Jesus, operating already in his ministry, traveling and doing ministry, uh, it would be very common for a rabbi or a teacher to, in the process of traveling and doing ministry, to stop at somebody's house and rest, have dinner, uh, you know, sleep the night, whatever it might be. So in this particular moment, Jesus has decided to stop at some of his friends' house, also followers of Jesus, not disciples necessarily, but friends and followers of Jesus, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. And so when Jesus shows up, back then, if a rabbi or a teacher showed up to your house, it was a big deal, okay? Like everybody, y'all know, everybody's family, at least my age growing up, you know, there was always a couple of people who if they came over to the house, mom cleaned up better than normal, you know what I mean? Like there's some people, it's like, ah, leave the laundry out. But if there was other people, and there's kind of, you know, when I was growing up, there was kind of this... uh, stigma, I don't know if that's the right word, but it was just this understanding that if the pastor came to your house, you know what I mean? It's like you have to hide all your sin. You know what I mean? Put all of our sin in the closet. Let's just pretend like we don't sin at all. Like it was just some kind of this big deal. Darnell and I will still have moments where we'll come over to somebody's house and they'll be like, I can't believe the pastor's here. And I'm like, hey, bro, I am just a normal person. All right? Like don't, don't, you know, just leave your laundry out. I got laundry too. You know what I mean? We got dirty dishes too. Just throw them in the air. We're good. Like we're normal people. It's okay. But there was just this understanding of like, it's got to be perfect. So Martha is freaking out. She's cleaning everything. She's setting the music. She's cooking the lasagna. She's getting the whole atmosphere ready for Jesus. All right, Martha's doing all these things. And according to the Bible, Mary, her sister, is sitting at Jesus's feet. Just with those sweet memory eyes, you know what I mean? Just looking up at Jesus. Martha's cleaning. And according to the Bible, Martha actually tells Jesus, Jesus, can you please do something about that girl? Like, I'm working, and she's just sitting at your feet. And when I read this, I have two girls, and they're about five years apart, and I literally could picture my oldest Veda asking Jesus to do something about her little sister. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus, could you just make her do something? Make case Like, I could see it. I'm in that moment. It makes sense to me. But watch what Jesus says to Martha. Jesus' response to her is this, Martha... Dear friend, you are so upset over all of these details. You are freaking out about the playlist and how clean the cabinets are and whether or not the lasagna is seasoned well. You are freaking out, and it's unnecessary. For there is only, there is really only one thing worth all of this, worth being concerned for, and Mary has figured it out. And so no, I'm not going to tell her to do anything. Because if there was anybody I was going to talk to in this moment, it would be to tell you to stop freaking out and do what Mary is doing. What Luke 10 tells you and I is we're worried about a lot of things. Y'all, we, we got a lot of details that we're going through. We're trying to figure out financial situations. We're trying to figure out what college we're going to go to. We're trying to have a baby, trying to, or in the process of having a baby, trying to figure out mortgage. Are we going to get a house? Are we going to rent? Am I going to get a new job? Am I going to get fired? Am I going to get a raise? We have all of these details, and God would say to us, hey, hold up. You're worried about a lot of things, but there's only really 
one thing that matters. Jesus would say when it comes to following Jesus, the most important thing for us to do is to spend time with God. Think about that. Now, you would think, like, if there was ever an environment where that's an unnecessary statement to say, it would be the church, right? Like, like it just kind of makes sense. You know, if you go to Old Charlie's right now, it might be smart to let people know that that's what we should be doing, you know, because everybody's doing other things. But in the church, you think that's, we, we know that, but not necessarily. Number one, we might have been taught something differently, but also here's the real truth, and it talks about this in Scripture. We've just been sh- choked to death by the worries of life that we're working so hard to answer all of the questions that we've honestly just forgot to spend time with God. And so we're Christians and we're church attenders, but we haven't been spending time with God. The Christian life is not just about knowing and doing. It's about being with Jesus. So important. Before you and I ever focus on specific practices or habits or routines, We have to realize that following Jesus begins simply by spending time with him. Now, here's the question we often ask. Don't admit that you ask it, but but we often ask it. You ready? Somebody says you need to spend time with Jesus. You go, okay, how much time is enough time? Like, what are we talking here? Are we talking 30 minutes and some change, right? 45 minutes, an hour, 10 minutes. You know, can I do it in the shower? Is it in the car on the way to work? Like, what is the exact amount of time that's the right amount of time, you know, to be able to get this whole Jesus thing moving? Like, here's my, and I thought, like, that, aren't we asking the wrong question? You know what I mean? Like, if, if that's the question that we're asking, then, then something at some point is missing or, or is off. When I first got saved at our church in Memphis, I, I, was, I was young. I was 17, 18 years old. I was fired up for God. I, I, had, I had never experienced anything like the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And so now I'm excited about it. I, I loved godly people. I, I loved the church folks. I loved church activities. And so every time the church doors were open, I was trying to be there. And so I found out that they were doing this thing called Sunday school. Y'all ever heard about this, Sunday school? It's, you know, all the seasoned saints are like, yeah, I remember that. My mom and dad drugged me to that. You know what I mean? You were a kid. You had a drug problem. They drug you to church. Get it? Anyway, all right. So um, I did have this, this, this complaint, though. If you're going to market um, something in the morning where we're going to come and discuss the Bible together, let's not put the word school in there. You know what I mean? Like, nobody's excited about that word. So let's, let's call it like Sunday bash, you know, Sunday hangout, you know, Sunday coffee and connect or something. You know, let's, let's be a little more creative about it. But I would I'd get there, and I walk in the room. It's about 12 seats. There's probably three or four people sitting there. And so I sit down, and I'm, I'm just kind of taking it all in. I'm new to it. Um, and all of a sudden, the teacher starts taking role. They start, you know, naming, like, you know, John Smith, or, you know, and they're going through it. I'm like, this is the strangest thing I've ever been a part of. And so they get to this one kid who apparently is very studious. He's been there very, very, very frequently. And they say to him, uh, if you continue to be here for the next couple of weeks, you will have a perfect year of attendance in Sunday school, and you'll win the perfect attendance award. And I'm like, what is happening? You know what I mean? Like, what, where am I right now? And so, so Sunday school ends, and I go up to the teacher, just curious as could be, and I just go to ask him, why, why are we doing this? Like, why are you taking attendance, and why are we doing a perfect attendance award? It seems a little off. 
And so I asked him that. I think I caught him off guard, but he just kind of said a response. I don't think he thought about it. I think it was just an automatic response. And he just, out of nowhere, he just went, so people will come. And I was like, okay. And so I, I turned around and I left. And this bothered me for a little bit because I'm like, why would we have to trick people who are following Jesus to come spend time with Jesus, right? Like, I'm all for blowing all of the whistles for people who don't know Jesus. You know what I mean? Do the balloons, confetti, get a unicorn on stage. Let's do anything we can for people who don't know Jesus to come in the doors and learn about Jesus. But we're talking about people who are following Christ, right? They're Christ followers. Why, why do we need to convince them or trick them to come to church? If there's a point, listen to me, young people. Listen to me, older people, right? Anybody. We're in this season where there are actually people who will say, if I didn't have to go to church, I wouldn't. What does that mean? And at some point, I just feel like maybe we got the cart before the horse, right? Like maybe we got focused on policies and procedures before we ever really got the presence. When I was dating Darla, there was never once where I went somewhere with her where I said, I got to go somewhere. I just wanted to be in her presence. You know what I mean? Like, so, so anytime, I, it was just weird for me because I was so on fire for God and I was confused by the concept that they felt the need to trick people to come be in the presence of God. And I said, okay, I, I think what's happened here, the more I've matured, is, is at some point we started pushing all of policies and we forgot to really educate people on presence. Our greatest priority is to love God with all we have. We get to, everybody say get to. We get to involve God in every aspect of our lives. We get to the creator of the universe. We get to ask him about everything. He cares about our relationships. He cares about our finances. He cares about our fears, our concerns, our dreams, our disappointments. He cares about everything. The creator of the universe cares. He cares right now about your marriage. He cares about the person that you want to ask out on a date. He cares about the relationship you had that you want to move into marriage. He cares, and he wants to be involved. He cares about your finances, the bills you can't pay, the, 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 the boat you wish you had, right? He cares about everything. He cares, and he just wants to be involved. Do y'all remember like the very first time you were seriously dating somebody or liked somebody and you were in that weird season of life where everything revolved around them. A lot of times it was like in high school kind of thing. And what you did is you would talk to them like on the phone all night. You know what I mean? Like the phone call, as soon as you got home from school, you would call them and you'd be on the phone. And you'd be on the phone for so long that at some point you wouldn't even be talking anymore. You just have the phone and you're both just breathing to each other, you know, just ah. like, you know, one guy's playing video games, girls watching a TV show. You're having full blown conversations with people in your house, but the phone is, you're just running up mom and dad's phone bill. You know what I mean? Person just sitting, you still there, babe? I'm still there, babe. I love you. I love you. And then you don't talk to each other for the next 30 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, like you, know, you, you, you write their name all over the place. Everywhere you look, their name is on. It's on the wall. It's on books. It's on the toilet paper. Like, it's written all over the house. 
Y'all just got this weird, like, like you put on an outfit and you're worried about if they like the outfit and you're not even going to see them that day. Like you're just obsessed with them. You filter your entire life through them. Listen to me. That's how God feels about you. Every thought. The Bible says that he knows how many hairs are on your head, that there are more thoughts about you than there are sands or grains of sand on the beach. God would be fine just being on the phone with you, listening to you breathe. It's his breath. He just wants to be in your presence. He just wants to be involved. He thinks about you. He wonders about you. He wants to know how you feel. He wonders how you thought about that and how you processed that. He cares. There's no higher calling in life than Jesus' call to just be with him. To just be with him. There's a good chance that all of you are going to do something great for God. There's a really good chance that at some point you're going to be able to impact somebody else's life for God. But the greatest calling on your life is to just be with him. So he says, that's great, Troy. But what does that look like? You know, in, in their day, right, in Matthew chapter 4, it's a little bit easier because Jesus is there. In Luke 10, it's one thing for Mary to sit at his feet because his feet are there. You know what I mean? Like, like where do I, if I'm going to sit at his feet, where exactly, where are his feet? Where do I sit? Like, I'm just trying to be able to wrap my mind around that. It's easy for that generation or that, that time in our life because Jesus was physically there. But Jesus is not physically here, right? He's here by the Holy Spirit. We understand that he's in me. We understand those things. But when it comes to spending time with God, there's moments where it can be a little awkward. Because I, I just don't really, I'm not really sure how to do it. Well, I want to give you some practical thoughts this morning before we leave. All right. First of all, understand this. I believe there are about four major ways. There's many ways, but about four major ways for you and I to spend time with God. Number one is prayer. Number two is worship. Number three is the Bible. And number four is the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to talk about prayer and worship this morning, talk about the Bible next week, and then Holy Spirit throughout the message series. But these are kind of the four main things. So let's talk about prayer for a second. Prayer is one of the most important, yet one of the most challenging parts of following Jesus. And here's the reason. Because he's not there so you're kind of in this weird, awkward, you're learning how to hear from God while you're talking to God, you're talking to yourself. There can be kind of some awkward process in that, but I'm telling you, it's the most important. All right, I'm about to give you some, some I'm, about to, I'm about to drop some knowledge on you. Prayer is the greatest privilege of humanity, right? It's the greatest privilege of humanity for us to be able to talk to God. But talking to God's weird, Troy. It's weird. All right, I'm, I'm going to give you, ready? ready for some knowledge? I'm going to blow your mind. You ready? Everybody think right now about your best friend. Everybody has to participate. Got to participate. Think about your best friend. If you're married, right now is a great time to get brownie points and be like, this is my best friend right here right beside me. You know, but think it might be a childhood best friend. Who, all right, are you ready? Y'all got it? Everybody thinking about them? Students, you thinking about them? I mean, you've only known them for like a week. You, right? you got them? All right, cool. Ready? There was a time in your life where you didn't know them. Wow. You didn't know them. All right, you ready? Even crazier. There was a time in your life where you were getting to know them, 
and it was awkward. You know what I mean? You were having those awkward beginning friendship conversations. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? It's good. It's nice to see you. What, are you, what brings you here? You know what I mean? Just like these awkward, weird... Like, I remember the first time I met Brian, we're in school, and he's like, you know, hey, where are you? I'm like, hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm Brian. I'm Troy. Nice to meet you. I play basketball. I play basketball, too. You know what I mean? It's just weird. It's just weird at first. Like, it just it doesn't roll out like best friends. It's just, it's, let's be honest, it's awkward, right? It's awkward. But what did you do? You stuck with it. And the more you stuck with it, and you kind of moved slowly out of awkward into automatic, and then you were able to just have conversations, great conversations. And then you got more friends. You became closer and closer. Watch this. To eventually, you could be in the same room with each other and not actually speak words, but communicate. You know what I mean? You'd be like across the room, and you'd look at your best friend and be like, and your best friend would go like, <laughs> full-blown conversation, no words. How did you? You didn't do that the first day. If I'm in algebra class and I look at Brian and I'm like, Brian goes, who are you looking at? <laughs> he doesn't know what's happening. But through that conversation and that relationship, now there's that automatic to where now literally I can be in your presence and I know what you're thinking. What does that mean? That means that, watch this. Are you ready? Theology. You ready? That I can start off talking to God and it be awkward. Keep doing it. And it become automatic. Keep doing it. And we get to a place where I can be in the presence of God. And he doesn't have to say anything. And I don't have to say anything. I just know what we're talking about. You can be there going like, God. And God's like. It's a cloud. We moved a cloud. You just have that relationship. Because it's awkward at first. But the more we do it. I've got 38 years of foolishness that I'm trying to process through. And I don't want to give more than a couple of days to God. I stick with it. I stick with it. It's awkward. It's awkward. The more I do it, the more it becomes automatic. The more it becomes automatic, the more I start to move in a realm where we're conversating and we're not even talking. So watch this. The disciples see Jesus praying, and they know how to pray. They know how to religiously pray. They know, they know how to go through the religious jargon. But what they have never seen before was the intimacy that they watched Jesus pray to God with. So when they see this intimate prayer that Jesus is doing with his father, they walk up to Jesus. Jesus is done praying. They walk up to Jesus watching. They go, you got to teach us how to pray. We've prayed before. We've gone through the eyes, you know, we've gone through all these things, but it was just, it was just religious. There was no real passion there. But, but Jesus, what we just saw you do with, with your father, with, with God, that was crazy. That was relationship. That was intimacy. You've got to teach us that. Now, this is my belief, but walk with me. I think Jesus knew right then what I'm telling you right now is that it wasn't going to happen like that. What Jesus had with God had been a lot of years in the making. And so I think Jesus knew, hey, if you'll just stick with it, it'll move from awkward to automatic. So he says, I'm going to give you 
kind of a diagram. And I want you to pray this diagram daily. And the more you go through this, the closer you'll get to God. And the closer you get to God, the less you'll need this because it'll just become automatic. And so he says, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass us, trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation and protect us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. He gives them kind of this, this diagram. He says, pray through this diagram, and it gives you something so that every day you can wake up and talk to God. And the more you wake up and talk to God, the closer you're going to get, and the better your relationship's going to be. So let me kind of break this down for you and how you could do this just real quick. Right off the bat, when he says, uh, blessed, hallowed be thy name, what he's telling us right there is to remind ourselves that he's God. No matter what situation you're in, start your prayer by shifting your perspective, by reminding yourself that he is God. Our Father, who art where? In heaven. Hallowed. I worship your name. You are God. So everything I'm going through doesn't matter as much when I remember that you are God. So he says, start off by remembering that you are God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then he goes on to say, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what he's saying. Align your purpose with God. Don't let it be all about what you want to happen. But have relationship with God and find out what he's doing and ask that God would change your heart to match his heart. Then he goes on to say, make a request. Give us today our daily bread. What do you need today? Trying to figure out what to do with the situation at school or at work or finances or health. What do you need today? Ask God for it. I need healing. I need provision. I need deliverance. I need a decision. I need, this is my daily bread. And then this is my favorite part. Then he says, receive and give grace. Receive grace, forgive me for my trespasses. And then he says, give it as I forgive those who trespass against me. And then he ends it with protect and lead us. That's a great diagram for you and I to use every day to pray. And the more that we pray it, the more that we go, well, Troy, it's kind of awkward at first. That's fine. But stay with it. And the more you pray it, the more it becomes automatic. And you'll find yourself asking those same things, but they won't be as diagram because there'll be a point of relationship. When you first meet somebody, it's always the same old questions. What's your name? What do you do for a living? Right? And then as you get to know this person, you don't ask those questions anymore because you already know the answers. And the more your relationship with God forms, you quit asking and saying certain things because you already know those things. And now you get to start asking God for things that are above and beyond these things, mysteries. It's just, I, I can't even go that deep. It's, it's incredible. The more you stick with it, the more it becomes automatic. So there's prayer, and then there's worship. Now, in the church world, the temptation is to assume that when somebody says worship, they're talking about music. And that's fine. A lot of us only know, when I first got saved, that's, when people said worship, I thought that's what it was, music. And worship is a form of music, or music is a form of worship. But that's not all worship is. So I want to give you kind of a definition 
of worship and then break it down a little bit, okay? In the, the inner essence of worship, watch this, is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, enjoying God, and being satisfied with God above all earthly things. You see that? It's, it's building, it's knowing God, it's getting to know God, and then that knowledge of God is overflowing into these things. Watch what it says, I love this. Then that joyful, everybody say joyful. joyful. That joyful satisfaction, the joyful satisfaction of knowing God overflows in acts of living your life with and for him. Did you catch that? He says that once I get to know God, once I start talking to him and I start praying and I push past the awkwardness and I move into what's automatic and our relationship gets built, I get to know God better. When I read the word, I get to build my relationship with God and the joyful satisfaction of a right relationship with God overflows into the way that I act living with and for him. It's the way of saying, I think a lot of times we've been taught if you'll clean up the outside, it'll impact the inside. But worship is letting Jesus on the inside. And as he works on the inside, it eventually overflows onto the outside. That's just one of the most powerful statements I've ever seen that I could get to truly know God and then my knowledge of God would become joyful satisfaction. And that joyful satisfaction will begin to overflow into action. You know, a healthy marriage, it's important that you hear me say healthy. A healthy marriage, there are moments where the spouses filter their life through one another. For example, um, you know, hey, babe, do you, do, you, do you like what I'm wearing? Does this look okay? Can I wear this? Do you think I look good? You know, all these kind of questions. Hey, what do you, what do you want to eat for dinner, right? The, the historical marriage question. Hey, you know, can you pick up the kids or, or can, you pick, can I pick up the kids? Or, hey, who's getting them from soccer? You know, you just start to filter life through your spouse. But I was thinking about this. Could you imagine... The first time I ever met Darla, she was on a church stage leading worship. Can you imagine if I'd have walked up to her and she'd have come off the stage and I would have said, hello, ma'am, here's all of the things I need you to filter your life through in regards to me. And she'd have been like, who are you, you know? Like, I'm your future husband. Just listen to me and follow these rules, you know? She probably would have smacked me. She's very physical, guys. Y'all need to pray for me. But here's what happened. At some point, Something about Darla got my attention, interested me. So then I started talking to her. I started spending time with her. And at first it was awkward. You know what I mean? And the more I spent time with her, the more that relationship grew and the more it became automatic. And then I made a decision that I loved her. And then I made a decision that I wanted to give her 
the opportunity and privilege of filtering my life through her. And so I asked her to marry me. You see how that process works? A right relationship with God is that we, we, there becomes an interest that starts. The interest is because we find out about the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ. We found out that because of him, our sins have been forgiven and we've been saved. There's an interest there. And so we start spending time with him. And at first it might be awkward, right? But we spend more time with him and it becomes automatic. And then there's a point that because of his love and because of his mercy and because of his grace, we fall in love with him. The Bible says, I love him because he first loved us. So because of how much he loves me, I fall in love with him. And as a result of that, now I want to filter my life through him. Do you see that pattern? I think a lot of us have been challenged and taught and forced to filter our life through him before we could ever fall in love with him. And if you don't have the relationship with him, then this over here just becomes legalistic rules. But once you have the relationship with him, you find yourself at a place where you want to follow those. You want to obey because that joyful satisfaction that's going on inside of you overflows into your actions. I like the way Paul said it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Watch this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Notice he didn't say in view of God's law. In view of God's mercy. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's love for you as you get to know him and that relationship grows, I urge you to offer your life as a living sacrifice. And that is worship. I'm going to put a QR code on the screen for you. And in a minute, you'll have that opportunity to scan it. And I want to tell you what this is. As we go through this series, I really want to put in your hands practical steps to move you in following Jesus. When you scan that QR code, which I'm going to ask all of you to do at some point throughout this series, this, this document will come to you. You have a place to fill out your name, your number, and there's five little drop boxes that you can choose from. And the first one is about you choosing to follow Jesus. You've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You want to choose to follow Jesus. The second one is to be baptized. You follow Jesus, but you've never been baptized. The third one is for you to start a reading plan. You want to learn how to read the Bible daily. I'm going to talk about the Bible next week. You don't want to miss it. The fourth one is about joining a dream team, going through Growth Track, doing a dream team, and getting around fellow believers who follow Jesus the way you do. And that fifth one is joining a small group or a one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Now, when you scan that, you're going to pick one or multiple, and you're seeing that that's going to come directly to me, directly to me. Because I want during this season to be able to help you find that next step. I think that's important. I think everybody who's under this roof in both services has a next step. Maybe you're saved, but you've never been baptized. Maybe you're saved and baptized, but you don't read your Bible regularly. 
Maybe you do all three of those, but you don't have a small group or you're not being discipled. Like all of us could afford to take that next step. And so that's the challenge. That let's learn how to follow Jesus effectively, right? So that our relationship grows with him. And the over or the, the, the joyful satisfaction of that overflows out of us into our daily life. Everybody stand with me. Stand with me. What would it be like? What would it be like to have him involved in every season and in every moment and every decision? My dad he was driving, he had gone to a funeral in Memphis and he was driving back to Panama City and he stopped in Smyrna to have dinner with me. And we get to talking and he says, you know what, Troy? He says, I, I've believed for many, many years that I was going to heaven because Jesus died for my sins. He said, but I realized just a few weeks ago that I was never actually following Jesus. We get to talking about it. It was so refreshing. And he's like, he's like, man, it changes everything. And I'm like, I know, right? He's like, it works. I'm like, I know. What do you, that's why I do what I do. Like, it works. I'm not lying to you, you know? He's like, I just, I just gave him everything. Every time I just gave it all to him. He said, I'm talking to him every day now. He said, so it's not, I just, it's not that I just believe him for the salvation of my sins. He said, I'm following him every day day now. It's different. It's different. There's a difference in religion and in relationship. The difference in following Jesus. And the more that you and I, I love this, the more you and I pursue Jesus, the more that Jesus pursues us right? The Bible says that as we draw near, he draws near to us. So when our heart is, God, I just want to follow you. I just want to involve you in every aspect of my life. When we make that our request, God listens and he draws near. If you've ever had a small child, whether you're a grandparent or a parent or maybe aunt, uncle, Tell me this happens every time. There'll be a moment where the little kid is wanting to draw near to the adult. And so they'll kind of start off like this. Watch it the next time this happens. Every time the adult will draw near to them as well. You know what I mean? That they see that desire of wanting to be held. And the adult's like, here I come. That's the same vision of God with us. This passion about, it's awkward sometimes and I don't fully know, but I just want to follow you. I just want to follow you, Jesus. And in that process, God draws near. Do me a favor, close your eyes. Just in the most intimate way right now, just however you would do it, just start to kind of, whether it may be in your mind, it may be out loud, just to request, just say, God, I'm drawing near to you. I'm drawing near to you. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want a relationship with you, Jesus. I'm drawing near and let him have the opportunity to draw near to you. We're gonna spend just a few minutes in worship and just kind of opening the opportunity for just that. 
just for you to have a few minutes and whatever that looks like for you, just to draw near, just to draw near. What an opportunity right now to just say, Father, I just want to follow you. I know it might be awkward at first, but I just, I want to start this relationship with you. Father, we thank you right now for your word, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are present in our lives. And we thank you that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So let that be what happens in this room right now. As we're taking a moment just to draw near to you. Father, have your way in this place. Come on, worship team, just begin to lead us.